0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهد الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وَإِنَّ شَرَّ مُحْتَثَاتُهَا وَكُلَّ مُحْتَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ وَكُلَّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارِ So we continue today. Uh, this is the third uh, lesson or third lecture on the section in the book in which Sheikh Ubaid, Al-Jabri, Hafizahullah, he is commenting on some of the Narrations which have come from the Salaf, the righteous predecessors. They are the companions, the companions of the Messenger of Allah upon, companions of the Prophet, then their students, the Tabi'een, and then their students. And these reports or these narrations that we are mentioning and commenting upon, they relate to the issue of a splitting ...and differing in the religion and the appearance of innovations, new statements, new doctrines... ...which have been innovated into the religion, thereby causing splits and differences. And we mentioned previously in previous lessons the importance of this particular topic and this subject... And that the wider context of this is that in the Quran, Allah He spoke of the actions of those people who came before, those people who had been given revelation previously from the Jews, from the Christians, even uh, the pagan Arabs, because Uh, You know, they they claimed to be upon the way of Ibrahim salam, but they departed from his way. Uh, They worshipped others alongside Allah. They altered the law. They made things that were lawful to be unlawful, things that were unlawful to be lawful. So they altered the religion. This has been the way of the people of the past, people who had received revelation were sent prophets... were sent messengers... ...so from among them are, are the Jews... Uh, ...from among them are the Christians... ...and we know as the messenger of Allah... ...he said... ...that the Jews split into 71 sects... ...and the Christians split into 72 sects... ...and my Ummah... ...my nation will split into 73 sects... ...and so... ...historically we see that indeed... The Jews, they split and divided and became sects and parties. Uh, They split on the lines of doctrinal issues, on the lines of issues of law. Um, The Christians likewise, we see the Christians right at the very beginning, Uh, a split occurred between the followers of Jesus, such as James and, you know, uh, others like that, and... Those people who were impostors, you know, like uh, uh, Paul. And the split occurred on the issue of Iman, on the issue of faith. What is faith? You know, is faith something that is belief only? Is it actions as well? Is it outward actions as well? You know, so so the issue about faith, Iman, became a controversy in the early period of... After, after the Isa Islam, after Jesus, peace be upon him, and you will find this in the, in the New Testament, right? You will find that in the book of James, he is speaking of actions being from Iman, and that to say otherwise is a heresy, right? And, and conversely, you see those people who came with a new innovation, a new doctrine, not known to Jesus, peace be upon him, and his followers... Which is that actions, you don't need actions, you know, it's, it's, it's just, um, uh, you don't need actions to justify your faith, right? You just need to accept that Jesus died for your sins through a blood sacrifice, and that's all you need for salvation. So the point being, these issues appeared in previous nations, and they split and they divided, and in the Qur'an... Allah has, has warned us against this. He said, for example, mm-hmm. do, not, do not split, do not be like those who split and who differed after the clear evidences came to them. Right? So they split and divided upon knowledge after the evidence came to them. And likewise, we've also been commanded, Do not be like the polytheists. Do not be like the polytheists. From among those who uh, split their religion and turned into many parties and every party among them rejoicing with that which it has right so they split and divided and then they began to rejoice with you know whatever uh, idea or doctrine that it it, you know it, it was upon so this is something that we've been warned against in the quran and since the quran is the final revelation from Allah Azza This Quran it affirms every truth that was in the previous books, in the in the in the Injil, in the Gospel, in the Torah, in the Suhuf. You know, in uh, every truth in previous revelation, the Quran has come to affirm it, and it has it has come to. Uh, you know, uh, put an end to whatever differing occurred amongst the people of the past, right? The issues of, for example, the issue of Isa, Jesus, peace be upon him. What is the truth regarding, regarding him? Uh, what is the truth regarding uh, Dawood and Suleiman and Ibrahim, Ali, Musalam? right? And it, it clarifies the truth. And at the same time, as we said, because the Qur'an is the final revelation and there is no messenger after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu wasallam, then it means that there must be within this religion that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, you know, by which Allah has guaranteed its preservation. Allah has guaranteed the preservation of this religion. Because there is no other book, there is no other prophet. And so in order to prevent this religion becoming like what happened to, you know, the the Jews and the Christians and other than them, there must be something within this religion that safeguards it from taking the same way or the same path. What is that thing? That thing is the way, the way, the manhaj, the tariqah, the way, the methodology of the salaf, of the companions of Allah's Messenger, right? It is the safeguard, it is the protection of this religion from being permanently altered, right? The Jews cannot say today, they cannot trace back what were the direct students, the direct disciples of Musa A. Salaam, and Harun, A. Salaam, what, were they, what were they upon? They can't do that. They can't do that by, by chain of transmission, by way of reports, tracing directly back to Musa and Harun Ali Musarah, they can't do that, neither can the Christians they, they do not have a chain of narration they can't trace back uh, these statements directly and um, they have got altered so far away from from the law from the doctrine uh, that the religion has become altered. however, in the case of the Quran and the Sunnah and uh, you know uh, that which the Messenger Muhammad that which he brought, then we know that the Qur'an has been preserved. It has been successively transmitted by memory and also by writing. Um, we know that the prophetic traditions have been uh, preserved and conveyed. We know the names of the people who conveyed. We know the names of their fathers. We know their status in terms of integrity and trustworthiness and soundness of memory. We know all of these details. And this is something that no other nation has been given previously. Right? No nation has been given this previously. And part and parcel of that preservation of this religion is how do we deal with and how do we behave with respect to those who introduce into this religion that which is not from it, right? Because just as it happened to nations that came before among the Jews and Christians and other than them, likewise, it will, it, it, it will happen in this nation as well, just as the messenger informed us that this nation will also split into 73 groups. He mentioned many other texts that, you know, there will come to you people who will narrate things that you've never heard of, neither you nor your forefathers. Right, and there will be callers at the gates of hellfire. You know, whoever responds to them, they will throw him into it. And they will be from your skin, they will speak your language. And many other texts, many other hadith similar to this, indicating that what happened to previous nations will happen to this nation, with the exception that Allah has guaranteed and promised that this religion will be preserved. Right, It will not be corrupted completely and go the way of the, of the Jews and the Christians and their scriptures. And so this topic that we are discussing and which we have been discussing for the past three, uh, two lessons and today as well, uh, and, the, and the narrations that we are bringing, all of these are, they, they highlight and explain methodological principles, right? The, these are methodologies which, uh, which, which have come in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and which the companions of Allah's Messenger, they acted upon, they enacted these things. And it is these things, these specific things that we are discussing, which is the reason, the very reason, why Islam, the Qur'an, the Sunnah, the way of the Messenger of Allah Sallam, and the religion which he bought, and its sound, intact understanding, it will not go the way of the Jews and the Christians and be altered and lost forever. Right. So. So I'm just putting a context to these narrations which we are reading and, you know, the the, the methodologies or the the principles that we follow and we that we abide by, which if we stick to, we will be safe in our religion. Right now, this doesn't mean that there will not be misguided people doesn't mean that there will not be, you know, hordes. And factions of the Muslims who will, unfortunately, follow other people in misguidance. This will happen. But we have been commanded to stick to the correct guidance of the messenger of Allah, his companions and their students. And to hold on to it, you know, to bite onto it with the teeth, and, and so on and so forth. So this is what we are discussing, just to give some context uh, to people who might be new uh, to these lessons. And so today we are starting on the seventh narration or the 7th report mentioned by Sheikh Ubaid, Hafizahullah Ta'ala and he said waqala mus'ab bin sa'ad mus'ab bin sa'ad he said la tujalis maftuna la tujalis maftuna do not sit with a person who has been put to trial do not sit with a person who has been put to trial fa innahu la because he he will only have one or two he will only have one or two effects upon you there will only be one or two things that will happen to you if you sit with someone who has been put to trial either either he will put you to trial as well and then you will end up following him you will follow him or he will harm you or abuse you before you leave his company right so someone who's been been put to trial meaning someone who's been put to trial in his religion right and he is you know is uh, ha- entertaining doubts He's confused or he's speaking with, you know, some some speech, which is which is innovative speech. Uh, It's upon ignorance. It's upon misunderstanding. And so only one of two things will happen. Either he will convince you and confuse you as well. So you will enter into his confusion, into his misguidance. Or if not, then just you Discussing with him and, you know, he, he will abuse you because obviously if you don't accept what he's saying, he'll abuse you, he'll revile you, he'll, you know, whatever in the course of the of the discussion. So it is best not to sit with a person like this, with a person who has been put to trial. As the Sheikh says, um, the Sheikh basically just repeats what is in the, in the text. Um, you know, either due to. Uh, him convincing you you will follow him or because of the lengthy disputation, argumentation wrangling with him you know, the whole process is going to to tally you out and you know uh, it it might even make you inclined towards him somewhat so it is best not to sit with a person who has been put to trial in his religion the Sheikh goes on to say uh This is a piece of advice from the righteous Salaf, that if you want to be safe in your religion, you know what the truth is, you know what the truth is in all the various subject matters of the religion, about Allah's Tawheed, about Allah's names and attributes, about Iman, what is the reality of faith and Iman, about Al-Qadr, the divine decree, the reality of the decree, all the various topics, and you're clear about these issues, don't sit with someone who's been put to trial. Just be safe in your in your in your in your you know in your religion. Don't subject yourself to uh to to harm. Same as just like if there was a burning building, keep away from the burning building. Why why come close to the burning building? Why why do that? Why why subject yourself to potential harm? You don't do that. So in the same way, the same thing happens in the affair of of beliefs and doctrines. You know, if you want to be safe, don't mix with, with such people who have been put to trial. The Shaykh then mentions another hadith of the Prophet, in which the Prophet he said, yuayidu you uh, din rajul Al Fajir Which means indeed Allah He aids this religion by way of a sinful man. By way of a sinful man. Meaning Allah aids Islam by way of a sinful man. And the reason why the Shaykh mentioned this hadith is because sometimes the people of innovation and misguidance, they might bring a text which they misunderstand in order to invalidate these principles that we are discussing. Right? So for example, when we say, don't sit with someone who's been put to trial in his religion because he might affect you. Then these people will say, ah, but you know, didn't the Prophet also say that Allah will aid the religion by way of a sinful man? It's like, it's like a misconception. It's like a, you're trying to oppose like, these principles by, by an ambiguous text whose meaning you have not understood. And as for the correct meaning of this text, what's the correct meaning of this hadith? that indeed Allah aids the religion by way of a sinful man. The correct understanding of this text is very simple because we know the context of this hadith, the context of this statement. This statement was made because of a man who was in uh, jihad in the battlefield and he was you know, very brave and a great fighter and he was, you know, Brave and courageous on the field. However, he got wounded in many places. And so he was left, and then the people start speaking of him, you know, well, and saying, you know, he's going to be a martyr and he's going to be this and he's going to be this, and and praising him and lauding him, and so on and so forth. And the Messenger of Allah, when he saw him, um, he mentioned uh, that this person is from the inhabitants of the hellfire. And at the end of it, uh, and the companions were surprised and perplexed. You know why? Why? You know why, why is that? Why, why would that be? And it turned out that this man, eventually, not being able to uh, have patience upon the wounds, he ended up committing suicide. Committing suicide, right? And suicide is from the, you know, from the major sins. It doesn't mean that you left the fold of Islam, but it's from the major sins, right? So as a result of that, that man would have entered, you know, uh, hellfire. At the end of that, the messenger said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُعَيِّدُ il fajir, That indeed Allah aids the religion by way of a sinful man. What does this mean, this man? Obviously, he was sinful in what he did, but nevertheless, here he is, he's involved in jihad and he's aiding the religion of Allah by way of that. Right? This is the context of this particular hadith. And then when we look at the scholars, such as Sheikh bin Baz, Rahimullah and other scholars, when they explain this hadith as well, they say, for example, this could be a man, for example, that he doesn't really intend to aid the religion, but maybe he's spending money on uh, you know, you know, some, some other issue uh, in his land. Uh, you know, for his country, for whatever reason it might be, and indirectly, it aids the religion, right? So this is uh, another example of of a man who would be aiding the religion even though he is sinful because his intention is not correct or, you know, whatever it might be. So there are are numerous, uh, you know, explanations of that that, uh, hadith. But that hadith, in no way does it clash with or contradict the principle that we are mentioning here, that you shouldn't sit with a person who has been put to trial in his religion if you want to be safe. Right? And, you know, this, this is how people get put to trial. Uh, this is how people get, you know, uh, led astray, by, by uh, mixing with, interacting with people like this. And in fact, I'll give you... I'll give you one example. I think I may have alluded to it in in the previous lesson. I mentioned an example uh, of a scholar from the Ash'ari scholars called Abu Bakr al-Baqilani. Abu Bakr al-Baqilani. He is from the early scholars of the sect of the Ash'aris. And what he used to do, because he was in Baghdad, in the city of Baghdad, uh, in Iraq back you know in the uh, fourth century after after hijrah uh, you know he would be because that place were, were, was full of of you know the Hambalies the followers of imam Ahmed bin Hanbal, he would often make a display of being a Hanbali in order to kind of shield himself right and you know obviously he he had lots of good books in refutation of you know like like the, the the christians the jews the and other other kind of groups and sects uh, the mu'tazila and whatever so on one occasion what happened is there was an individual by the name of abu dharr al-harawi abu dharr al-harawi and he was walking with a darqutni you might have heard of a darqutni right For, uh, hadith scholar so they were walking and along comes abu abu bakr al-baqilani and so at darkutni he, um, you know, he turned to him, uh, hugged him, kissed his forehead, and uh, when they separated, Abu Dharr said to him, "Who is this man? Who is this man that you hugged and kissed and whatever?" He said, "Hada Imamul Muslimin, Hada Imamul Muslimin. This is the Imam of the Muslims, and you know, Wadhabu Alidin, and one who defends the religion." Uh, Because Al-Baqilani, he obviously had defense of the religion against the philosophers and the Jews and the Christians and so on and so forth. And um, so Abu Dhar said, from that time, I frequented him, meaning I kept visiting him, and then I followed his doctrine. I followed his doctrine. But Al-Baqilani was an Ash'ari from the people of Kalam. right? As a result of that, this man, Abu Dhar Al-Harawi, he was, he was from the uh, uh, North African uh, area. He or he used to visit there. He spread the Ash'ari Madhab to North Africa. right? So, so this is like an example of an encounter with a person of innovation and someone praised him and spoke highly of him as a result of which the other person, Abu Dhar Al-Harawi, Got you know entangled with him and his doctrine and his innovation, right? So uh, this this shows that this this is this is how misguidance how it spreads, right? It is it is through interactions and contact uh, with the people of innovation and misguidance. So this that the Sharia has come with, and what the Sunnah has come with, this is a safeguarding mechanism to put an end to to to, to you know to to the spread of misguidance as much as is as is possible, and uh, the sheikh goes on to explain that Musab, who is the author of the, the one who said this statement, do not sit with a maftun, la tujalis This is Musab ibn Saad uh, bin Abi Waqqas. He is the well-known companion. So he's a companion who made this statement. Right? Do not sit with one who has been put to trial. Uh, لا Tujalis So, if you are able to do this, keep away from such a person, and if you are not able to do this, and you are forced to interact, so for example, this could be this could be a family member. You might have a, someone someone in your family who is, you know, it could be a Rafidi, could be upon the way of the Shia, could be a Qadari, upon the way of Qadar, could be an Ikhwani or Tabli, or whatever it could be. Right, and this we see. We see today in the in the modern era. We see a single household, right, in London somewhere. Right, the son is a follower of Tahrir, right, is an extremist, right, and the uncle is a is a Shi'i, and you know the, the daughter is you know something else, you know, or something. You see this in, in, in this country in a single household, people following different doctrines, different you know, uh, different sects. So you could be someone who, you know, by necessity you have to, you know, it's not something you can avoid. So if you are in the situation, the shaykh says, فَبَيِّنَ uh, الْحَقُ If you are not able and you are compelled, then explain the truth. Explain the truth. Do not leave any room for these people and explain the truth. However, to keep away is better. Or to keep away is better. But obviously, in these types of scenarios, obviously you can't, you can't, you know, you can't just avoid completely, uh, you know, exposure to this type of uh, misguidance. So, uh, so the sheikh said, yes, if you can, if you can't avoid it, it is better because this is the way of the likes of Abu Bakr Muhammad bin Sirin and Abu Bakr Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani. These are two great scholars from the era of the uh, Tabi'in. And they used to, whenever the people of misguidance would come, they would actually leave, you know, they would leave, and they would leave the gathering. They wouldn't entertain or sit in a place where the likes of these people would, would speak with the likes of this, uh, you know, with their misguidance. So uh, so this is uh, the gist of what the Sheikh has said um, on this first uh, statement of Mus'ab bin Sa'ad. Next, we move to the second statement this is the eighth statement, and this is from Muftadl bin Muhalhal, who said, and this is an extremely insightful statement. He said, "La ukana sahibul bid'ah, ida jalasta ilayhi yuhadithuka bi bid'atih Hadartahu wa farartu minhu, wala kinnahu yuhadithuka bi ahadithi sunnah fi badu majlisih." ثم يدخل عليك بدعته، فلعلها تلزم قلبك، فمتى تخرج من قلبك؟ so he said if there was a person of innovation right there's a person of misguidance he's upon misguided he's misguided in religion if he came if if you sat with him and he decided from the very beginning to introduce his innovation to you and start speaking about his misguidance, then straight away, you would take caution against him. You wouldn't sit with him, because he's given his game away from the very beginning. Right? However, and you would have fled from him, you would have left him. However, at the very beginning, he will speak to you, you know, with the sunnah. Like he'll speak to you what is what is correct at the beginning of 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 the relationship or, or the gathering and then you know gradually or subtly he will introduce his innovation to you right his misguided view or misguided opinion he will bring it and insert it and and bring it to you and then perhaps it might stick to your heart it might remain with your heart and if it enters your heart, how then will it leave your heart? Right. So this thing here that the Sheikh has mentioned, he then goes on to comment and he says that look at how the righteous scholars from the from the Salaf, from the early era, how they unveil and expose the ways and the methods and the tricks Of the people of innovation and misguidance. Right? And, you know, the person who is an innovator, who, you know, alters the religion of Allah, and who introduces new things into the religion of Allah, he... When you first meet him, he will portray the sunnah and speak with the sunnah. And, you know, until you... um, one, you know once you once you start to trust him and once you think you know this this person is speaking what is correct and the truth and whatever then he will slowly bit by bit introduce his innovation like poison slowly introduce it to you and uh, the sheik says you should know that the people of innovation they have like a great deal of of shrewdness they're very smart very clever very calculated they have you know husn they have like a good like uh, they have um, uh, tact, and they they know how to you know act politically and, and you know uh, behave with people. This is how they are. So at the beginning, he will speak only that which is appeased, you know, to to be true, which is the sunnah. And once he's got you, uh, once you know um, he's you, you know you you think, oh my gosh, I benefited from this, I benefited from this, uh, benefited from this uh, man so much. He's taught me such and such and he's taught me such and such and I only hear from him uh, hadith and sunnah and then you, you know you've gained his trust um, and then um, then after that he then starts introducing the you know his innovation what he really desires to introduce to you he will he will introduce it to, to you. So this is something that you find for example with the Rafida the Shia who speak of the companions. At the beginning, you know, you come across these people in, you know, often in places of, 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 of work or in places of, of education or whatever it might be. And at the beginning, they, they will portray the sunnah and whatever else. And then eventually, after building a relationship, they'll start maybe speaking, you know, raising doubts about one of the companions, Muawiyah radiyallahu anhu, or something else. And, you know, uh, this, this is how it is they, they bring their poison. After after they have gained your trust. So this is something that the Salaf were wise to they knew they understood and they knew from experience that this is how these people they operate and how they and how they how they basically uh, behave. The next statement is the statement of al Barbahari, Bahari. Rahimahullah Ta'ala al Barbahari, And uh, he has a beautiful passage, a lengthy passage, and he said, وَعْلَمْ أَنَّ النَّاسِ لَمْ يَبْتَدِعُوا بِدْأَةً قَطْ حَتَّى تَرَكُوا مِنَ السُنَّةِ مِثْلِهَا فَحْذَرْ أَلْمُحْدَثَاتِ مِنَ الْأُمُورِ He said, know that the people never introduce an innovation ever into the religion. Except that they abandon of the sunnah what is like, what is similar to it. So beware of the newly invented affairs. So, in in other words, and and in fact, this is explaining how the religion becomes altered. When you introduce an innovation into the religion, be it a doctrine, a belief, which is new and innovated be it an act of worship right that innovation will cause a sunnah meaning a practice an authentic practice of the messenger of allah it will cause it to be lost it will cause it to be forgotten and then people leave that sunnah and then they think that this innovation is from the religion this statement in fact is taken from uh, the the, the salaf that al barbahari Rahimahullah is quoting. Uh, we see Al-Awza'i Rahimahullah. He mentioned from Hassan bin Atiyah that he said, uh, No people introduce an innovation into their religion except that Allah removes. It's like from the sunnah, from the prophetic sunnah. Then he will not cause it to return to them until the day of judgment. All right. So, you know, if so, in other words, innovations, when they are introduced into the religion and people think that this is the religion, they will neglect that which was from the Sunnah, and because they think this thing to be guidance, they will never abandon this thing, and as a result of that, the authentic guidance will never come back to them until the day of judgment why because they they, they think this now is is you know is guidance, and so this we see you know many of the Muslims are uh, the, are engrossed in many innovations in acts of worship or uh, in other things like certain celebrations, which have no basis in Islam, and as a result of engaging in these things, they abandon a fair share or a portion of the religion, and you know they, they, they will not turn to those things because they think that this thing here is is from the religion. And this is the the great danger of innovations in the religion. So al barbahari continues and he says, "فَإِنَّ كُلَّ مُحْدَثَةٍ wa وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ وَأَهْلُهَا فِي النار. For indeed, every newly introduced affair into the religion is an innovation. And every innovation is misguidance. Is misguidance. And misguidance and its people are in the hellfire. Right? So innovation is the way that the religion becomes altered. This is what the Jews did. This is what the Christians did. The Jews, they mixed with the nations. They were, host, they, they were hosted by other nations, the Babylonians, the Romans, the Egyptians. And whilst they were under these nations, they, they accepted their, their, their culture, their, their religion, their doctrines, their worship. And they, they imported this into, into the religion. right? They innovated and thereby they altered the religion. This is something that's happened in, in, you know, in the past. So innovation is the way that the religion becomes altered and it leads to splits. And this is why we see here that anyone who you know, falls into misguidance, then he is threatened with the hellfire. Then Al-Barbahari says another very important thing. He says, وَحْذَرْ al الْمُحْدَثَاتِ مِنَ الْأُمُورِ فَإِنَّ صِغَارَ تَعُودُ حَتَّى تَصِيرَ kibara. He says, beware of the small things, the things which start small, right? Start small, insignificant, something new, but it's very small and insignificant. Because the small innovations, they eventually end up being huge, they turn into something huge and every innovation that was introduced into this nation at the beginning it was something small It was something small it would resemble the truth it would resemble the truth and by way of that whoever entered into it was deceived and then he was not able to come out of it right and so then this innovation became big it became a religion. People then took it as a religion and they opposed the stray path and they departed from Islam. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. I'll give you like an illustration of how this can happen. So let's, uh, let, let's take the example of the Mu'tazila. The Mu'tazila are a sect and this sect, they basically went astray because they tried to use reason and analogy, and they try to apply it to, you know, to certain affairs of the religion. And one of the things they said was that, you know, by way of example, they said that um, they, they said that a person who um, They said a person who commits a sin or a person who does a righteous deed, then this cannot have been decreed upon him by Allah. Allah could not have decreed that upon him. Because if Allah decreed that upon him, then how can they be rewarded or punished? Because this does not seem like justice, right? It doesn't seem like justice. You know, if Allah has decreed for a person to commit a sin and then punishes him, or if Allah has decreed a person to do a righteous deed and then rewards him, then where's the justice in this? Right? And so therefore, it must be the case that Allah has no role, has no power, no ability over the actions of man. Right? When a man acts, he's acting completely outside the domain of Allah's power, creative power. Right? This actually means that there happens in Allah's creation what Allah Himself has no power over. Right? This is the consequence of that argument. Right? When you say, how can Allah reward and punish when He's decreed it upon the servants? Right? The consequence of that argument is that there happens in Allah's creation that which Allah is not a creator of. That which He has no power over. Right? This means that there is in existence creators other than Allah. We are creating our own actions outside of Allah's power and and control. And this is why the Messenger of Allah, he resembled these people whom he prophesied would appear. He said, they are the Magians, the fire worshippers of this nation. The fire worshippers, right? The fire worshippers are the Persians, the Magians. They used to believe in a God of good. And a god of uh, evil, the god of good was light, and the god of evil was darkness. And you know, uh, evil comes from the god of evil, right? So, in other words, what, yeah, what, what the, the likeness is that when man does something evil, you know, he drinks, he fornicates, he cheats, he steals, he lies, he murders, or whatever, he doesn't evil, he himself. Created the action, did the action completely outside of the control and power of Allah. Azza wa he created his own action outside of you know Allah's creative power. So he's now become a creator alongside Allah. Azza wa Jal, right? So this is this is the consequence of that argument. Right. The point that I'm making from this, this is one example of their innovation. They had a few others. And this started in the beginning of the second century. Right at the beginning, 100 Hijra, 110 Hijra, 120 Hijra, right? Began something like this. This group continued and they continued to develop their innovations until by the end of the century, they actually gained political power. Didn't gain political power, but they basically influenced the, 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 the rulers of that time. Right. The rulers, the, 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 the Khulafa. And after influencing the rulers of that time, they then imposed these innovations upon the masses, upon the masses through the power of the rulers whom they had basically convinced. And as a result of that, many, many thousands of great scholars were actually killed. Or they were imprisoned. Or they were beaten, right? Because they wouldn't agree with, with with these innovations, right? These innovations grew until, even you know, the 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 the, the people who, who spoke of them, they managed to get a tremendous amount of political power and political sway, and you know, they they, they brought this um, thing upon the people of knowledge, right? So here's something that might have began as something small, you know, some guy sat in the gathering of Hasan al Basri. And he makes a remark, and you know something small, you know maybe, but what happens when he gets followers who follow him upon that doctrine? Then they get followers. Then they sit down and start writing, right, and start developing the misguidance, you know, because they're being misguided. It grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows until, in this example, we saw it's become a political force, leading to the to the slaughter and massacre of many thousands of scholars in in the time of Imam Ahmed so this is basically like 100 120, 120 120 years afterwards we see we see we see this so this is the nature of innovation right in fact a good analogy would be a good analogy would be a single spark can bring down an entire building yes or no now we know this from experience don't we we hear, we hear these stories all the time about, you know, this whole building, whatever. And it was because of some, you know, little glitch somewhere. It started as a little spark. Likewise, we see with forests, you know, the entire, you know, tens and tens of miles of, or hundreds of miles of forests just, you know, burned. Well, that fire started as something minute, something very, very small. Then it grew, right, with the oxygen from the air and the wind blowing in a certain direction, the trees being next to each other and the high entire area is completely uh, demolished right this is the nature of innovation if you do not extinguish that misguidance from the very beginning then it will do exactly what a fire does to an entire building or an entire forest that's the analogy right except that one is is physical you know uh, physical things in the worldly affairs this is in the the religious affairs which is even more dangerous right so so as al-barbahari said beware of the can you explain the correct position regarding the, the belief of the mu'tazila the correct the correct position regarding the the example i gave of the mu'tazila that's just one of their misguidances the other misguidances as well on the names and attributes of allah about the quran is it the speech of allah uncreated whatever but in this issue the correct view is that uh, that uh, Allah nothing escapes nothing is outside of his knowledge nothing is outside of his power nothing is outside of his creative power Uh, everything is a creation of Allah right and that includes the actions of man so because Allah created you your body Your essence gave you limbs, gave you reason, gave you eyes and ears, allowed you to to reason and think. He gave you a soul which He inspired to be inclined towards the good and which He also taught to have like a conscience, to be aware of evil. Then He sent messengers, then He sent books to show the right way and the wrong way. And then He left you to choose, right? So when you choose to do a righteous deed or an evil deed, You are the doer of the deed. You did the deed. You are the doer. But Allah is the creator of the deed. Right? Allah created the deed. You are the doer of the deed. You are still responsible. And so there's no contradiction between you doing the deed and being responsible and between Allah creating your deed. Right? There's no contradiction here uh, between these two things. And we know this from, from our own experience, because, you know, if, if, um, you know if, you, if, uh, if you try to use the argument that, well, you know, I, I committed this sin, you know, I, I, I stole this person's wealth, I robbed him, because it was decreed for me, it's just predestination, Allah decreed it for me, so, you know, how, how, you know, how, how can you say that I'm wrong? So the answer to him would be, you know, you, you punch him in the face and you break his back and you kick him in the, in the head and you say, well, likewise, that's from Allah's decree as well. <laughs> so how can you blame me for what I've done? Right, so, so you, 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 can't, you, you can't use the argument of the divine decree to show um, that there's any injustice. Everybody knows this is, this is, this is actually wrong. And, and you know that what that person did is, is actually unjust. It's unjust because you chose to do it and you knew it was wrong. right? You knew it was wrong and you chose to do it. Um, So so the argument that uh, Allah creating your deed and you doing the deed after you knew it was evil and harmful and unlawful and then being punished for it, there is no contradiction between these two things whatsoever. There's no contradiction at all. Right, So Allah is the creator of the deeds, man is the doer of the deeds, because man has received guidance that this is right and this is wrong. If you do this, there is uh, punishment. If you do this, there, there is reward. Then you deliberately choose to go and, and, and do whatever, then you deserve punishment or you deserve reward by your own choice. And the fact that Allah knows that and decreed that and He created that, that is not injustice right what would have been injustice if allah knew what you were going to do then he created you then he immediately punished you without leaving you to do to choose to do what you're going to do if you know what i mean meaning that if allah judged you by way of his knowledge alone Before you even acted, that would be injustice. Yes, that would be injustice. Yes, Uh, it's like saying, it's like saying, you know, let's say you're going to send. I'll give you a simple example. Imagine you you have a child, right? And you give the child some money and, you know, you tell the child, right, Um, when you go to the shop, you are not allowed to buy such and such. Right. But you already know, you you know your child and you know this child, when he goes there, he's going to buy such and such. You just know it's going to happen. Yes. Right. So you give the child the, uh, you know, the, the, the five pound or whatever it is. And before he leaves the door, you bring him back in and you discipline him because of your knowledge that he was going to do what you pretty much knew he was going to do. Now, is this justice? Because he hasn't done what you, what you knew he was going to do. But this is not justice now, right? But if you let him go and he went, and then you know, later, later when it came back to you through his sibling or something else that, yes, he went and bought that thing he shouldn't have bought, now you can discipline him. right? And maybe you might have even done that to allow as, as a means of teaching, and, and you know, it might have been for that reason. This now is not injustice. Because he's done the thing that you knew he was going to do. He's done the thing. So now you can you can discipline, right? So, so injustice would be, in the case of Al-Qadr, if Allah already knows what he's going to create and what they are going to do, then he creates them. And then before they do what they do, you are judged on account of Allah's knowledge alone, prior knowledge alone. This would not be, you know. However, Allah has created you, Allah has given you faculties, given you hearing, seeing, the ability to act, the ability to think, ability to reason, give you a conscience, give you fitrah, like original disposition, he gave you intellect, then he sent books and messengers in which he explained the right path, the wrong path, what is wholesome, good, pure, impure, that which is beneficial, that which is harmful, that which is lawful, that which is unlawful, explain everything, right? Then you choose, after having all that knowledge, you choose to do what you do. Then, for you to be rewarded or punished, it is perfect justice. There's no injustice in this at all, whatsoever. Right? So that's that's the shubha of the, of the mu'tazila. Anyway, the point being, the point that we're really uh, making there was uh, coming back to the innovations. An analogy for innovations is like the spark of the fire. If you do not extinguish the fire, imagine, you know. A small piece of your curtain or something being on fire, and you, you know, you just sit there, and indifferent, and you know, you you just watch your house burn. Well, see, this is the analogy between the people of the Sunnah. What does the person of the Sunnah do? He immediately gets up, right? He warns everybody else, "There's, there's a fire! There's a fire!" And then he goes and gets a bucket of water, whatever, I mean, he, you know, ex- extinguishes the, the fire. Right, this is what he does, and this is the analogy for the people of the Sunnah. This is this is what what we are upon uh, when we speak of these narrations. This is what we do in preservation of the religion. Now, as for the people of innovation and misguidance, they are indifferent to these things. Right, they don't like speech like this. So their analogy, the analogy for them, would be that a man is sat there, he's watching the house on fire. Things, no, just leave this. this is just. You know, this is just being. This is being harsh, you know, to put the fire out and to extinguish the fire and to warn the people. This is this being too harsh. That's the same analogy, except that you know this is this is in religious affairs, which are more serious. Why? Because they relate to the hereafter, and this worldly issue of the house being on fire. Well, this is this is a worldly issue, you know. Right. So, so uh, Al-Barbahari rahimullah he says. Uh, He continues, and he says, yes, he says that the innovation begins as something small, which resembles the truth. It's a bit obscure, and it resembles the truth. And anyone who basically gets drawn into the innovation, he becomes deceived by it. And then he's not able to leave that innovation. Why? Because he's been convinced this is the truth, this is from the religion, this has evidence. And he's not able to leave it anymore. and then it becomes bigger and bigger and until it becomes an actual doctrine, a school of thought, you know a religion which is followed and then so as a result of this, a person then opposes and separates away from the straight path and he departs from Islam. he departs from Islam. So al-B Bahari continues. Rahimakallah الله كل من kalamahu كلامه من أهل زمانك so look and observe may Allah have mercy upon you every person whose speech you hear from the people of your time right meaning be observant be careful pay attention to you know speech you hear coming from the people of your time because not not all of it is true not all of it is the truth and so be careful and do not be hasty. Don't be hasty. Uh, do not enter into something until you ask. Or until you look. This thing this man is telling me. This thing this man is speaking, speaking with. Did any of the prophet's companions speak with this? Did any of the well-known scholars speak with this? And so if you come across a narration... An evidence that backs up what this man is saying, then hold fast to it, and do not go beyond it, and do not choose anything over it, as a result of which you might enter into the fire. Right. So this now is he's he's enjoining the exercising of caution. Be cautious, because you are living in a time when you know the 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 false statements and innovations and the people of innovation are many and widespread and the innovations are many as well many many different sects each person claiming uh, to be upon the truth and rejoicing what they have with them so be careful don't enter into anything don't be hasty don't don't uh, you know act upon emotions and don't just you know accept anything and everything if you find something from the sahaba from the companions from the scholars you find a narration a report Stick to that, and don't go beyond it. Then he goes on to explain, know, know that a person leaves the path in one of two ways. A person leaves the path in one of two ways. فَلَا Fa فَإِنَّهُ هَالِكِ He said, know that a person leaving the path occurs in one of two ways. As for the first of them, it is a man who's fallen into error. He's swerved away from the path, but he intends nothing but good. So this is a man with good intentions, but he's actually made a mistake and swerved. He's erred, he swerved from the path. Right. But he has nothing but good intention. This man is not to be followed in his mistake. He's not to be followed in his mistake because, you know, he may end up and he may perish as a result of that mistake. This is the first way a person falls into misguidance. He has the sincere intention. He doesn't have any evil intention. He doesn't intend misguidance. He's not seeking misguidance, but he's actually fallen into an error. Um, and, you know, he's gone in down a particular path with all the best of intentions, but he is upon error. He's not to be followed just because he has good intentions, right? Because that man could actually be on a path to ruin eventually, and you would just be following him, right? So this is the first way a person goes astray. The second way a person goes astray, وَرَجُلٌ al a man who stubbornly opposes the truth, rejects the truth stubbornly, and he opposes those who came before him of the righteous people. This individual is a misguided person who misguides other people, and he is, you know, an astray, a stubborn devil in this nation. He is worthy, it is it is befitting for the one who knows him. Uh, To warn the people against him and to explain his affair so that other people do not fall into the same thing as him into the same innovation as him and as a result of which he perishes. Right. So in this case now, this is not a case of, you know, sincere intentions and seeking good. But you just made a mistake. No, this is this is where now you you are willfully knowingly opposing the truth for whatever reason it might be. Right. So this individual he is misguided who seeks to misguide other people. And so therefore, this person, we, we have to explain his affair. We have to warn the people against him, uh, you know, so that they don't follow him in his, in his uh, um, you know, in his misguidance. The shaykh, the shaykh Ubaid, ta'ala, he comments uh, upon this. And, you know, elaborating upon this uh, issue, the last issue that Al-Barbahari mentioned, he said that... The people who oppose the truth are two types. The first type is a scholar from the people of the Sunnah. He's a Sunni scholar. But he just made a mistake. Um, You know, he made a mistake in understanding in some issues. And so how do we behave with this type of person, right? This is a person who is upon the truth. He's upon the Sunnah, right? He desires good, but he made a mistake. First, (coughs) First of all, his error is rejected. His error is refuted and rejected. <coughs> and in Islam, an error is not accepted from anybody, whoever it might be, huh? because there is no compromise in, in the religion of Allah. Anyone who makes an error a mistake, then his error is not accepted. حَتَّى sahabi Until even a companion, If if a companion made... And Ijtihad, if he basically uh, may, had an opinion or a view in an, in an issue and we know that that was opposed the evidence and it opposed the Sunnah, then you know we say you know, we, we say that this is, this, this is an error and it opposes the evidence, right? So uh, as uh, Imam Malik said, rahimullah, that the statement of everyone can be accepted or rejected except the companion of this grave, meaning the messenger Muhammad. As for everybody else, his speech can be accepted or it can be rejected because he can be right and can be wrong because he is not infallible in in the affairs of religion. Only the prophets and messengers are infallible in the conveyance of the religion. Allah has made them infallible. They do not make mistakes in the conveyance of the religion. As for everybody else, they can make a mistake no matter who they are, whatever their rank, whatever their status. So first of all, the first way is that we reject the mistake. The second thing is obviously we maintain his honor we maintain his dignity we we protect his honor and we don't warn from him or you know because this person uh, desired the truth right he did not choose deliberately that which opposes the sunnah right but but he erred so we maintain his dignity we maintain his honor we correct his error but we uh, you know, speak good, of him, good of him, and we maintain his honor and his dignity. Uh, the Sheikh goes on to elaborate and say that uh, the essence of of what he says uh, is is that even if someone was a scholar, for example, even if he's a great scholar and he makes a mistake, then still, you know, we 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 we, we reject the the mistake and. Uh, perfection only lies in the book of Allah, in the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, And uh, as we said, the Prophet himself, himself is infallible because he is conveying from Allah And then likewise, the companions, when they agree upon an issue, when they have consensus, this itself is an evidence in religion. When we have something of consensus among the companions, they agree on an issue. This now is also a hujjah, an evidence in the religion, because they witnessed the revelation, they took it directly and fresh from the Prophet, peace be upon him, and you know, so, we, so we use them as, as an evidence, even though as individuals they might make a mistake. But when they agree upon an issue collectively, this now is a hujja in in religion. Right. So this all of this is to do with the first way that a person makes or, you know, he errs. The second type of opposition is the one who is from the people of innovation and misguidance. Right. So he is not person of truth and sunnah. He's a person of innovation misguidance. And so the, the principle regarding him is that he's refuted and um, you know, he's warned against and um, they warn people against him and um, you know, there is uh, you know, because the aim is to, to, to warn the people so as not to follow him in his misguidance and so then the way you do that depends on the circumstances so if you are strong in a position of strength so if you meaning the people of truth the people of sunnah are large in number and you have strength, and you have power, and you have clout, then basically you can openly warn against this individual, you know, and warn the people from him, and you know, put this pressure, and put this, you know, because you have the, the strength and the power to do so, because you are large in numbers. Right? So in that situation, you do that. But if you are few in number, and you are weak, and the strength and the power, meaning like in a city or a region, right the people whom you are who are people of innovation misguidance maybe they have they have influence maybe they have political influence maybe they you know they 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 control or administer the 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 mosques or or the centers right and they they have this degree of influence and you, you you are just a handful of people right it's not from wisdom now to go and you know create enemies and and you know uh, give them opportunity to harm you in some way. No. So all you do, you simply explain, this is wrong. This statement is wrong. This action is wrong. This. Uh, so you, you are refuting the actual issue, the error, the innovation. You are not now openly warning from the one who is you know uh, spreading this muskads. Why? Because that is going to bring you harm. It's going to bring you potential harm because you are small in number, you are mm. weak in number, and uh, you know, they, they could just you know uh, harm you and, and, and your da'wah. So, the sheikh is mentioning here that those who are the opposers of the second category they are known to be upon misguidance, call us to misguidance. Then, we obviously warn from their innovation, we refute it, and then, then, depending upon whether you have strength or not have strength, depends whether you would openly warn against these individuals or not, right? So, basically, you use. Um, you know you use um you use tact in 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 in, uh, in in these affairs and you use wisdom in these affairs uh as well because these people can can bring uh you know tremendous harm to you. The sheikh then finishes by giving one evidence for this right the evidence for this comes from the messenger of allah himself so, so there was once an incident where a man he came to the house of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he sought permission to enter. <coughs> so, as he was seeking permission to enter, the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said to the companions who were with him in the house, he said, بِئْسَ أَخُ Wa ashira." Right? He made a remark meaning, meaning, that how, how, how evil a man this is amongst his like, family and you know, relatives. like What an evil man this is. Like, he made a remark about this man. So then, when the same man came in and he entered, uh, the messenger of Allah, you know, he sat down and the messenger spoke to him like was, was cordial in speech and he was nice with him and whatever else. So then when the man left, the companions were a bit perplexed. And they said, "O oh, Messenger of Allah, you said what you said meaning before he entered, but but then you behaved with him in such and such way." And then the Messenger of Allah he explained. He said, "Shabrun nas," he said, "the most evil of people, man nas ittika'a lifahshihi. The most evil type of people are those whom the people have to avoid because of their uh, because of their because of their evil because of their uh, vile behavior right some people are such that they that they abuse and harm other people right so what happened here uh, as the sheikh explains that here what the messenger of Allah, what he did there was two things he did on the one hand, he notified people of the evil that is with a particular man, right? Because there are some people who are basically, if you were to interact with them, they, they will harm you, right? Like, for example, I might say to you, be, beware of such and such, you know, Abdullah or Zayd or Khalid or whatever, because, you know, don't, don't, don't trade with him. Do not trade with him. Because he will, you know, he, he will, uh, he, he will uh, basically not be fair with you. He will not be just with you. He will, he will steal your money. He will basically not give you fair share, Right? I'm warning you from 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 the evil of this man, because this is something known about this man, that this is something he has a history of doing, right? And he's just finding victims. So I'm saying to you, you know if you're thinking of starting a business, do not do not deal with this man because he will he will you know harm you, right? But if this man now comes to me, the same man that i I've just warned against and he comes to me, then I you know I'll, I'll speak well with him and behave nice with him and have a cordial discussion. Because this now is from tact in relationships, right? This is not like, this is not being two-faced or whatever. This is from a different angle, right? And in fact, the scholars, they actually, we don't have time for this today, maybe in the next lesson. But the scholars, they, they, they say, okay, how do you reconcile this here, this hadith here about this man coming to the house? And between the hadith of the messenger of Allah, where he said... um he said, "There's a hadith where he said, in uh, nas uh, Indeed, the most evil of people is the one with two faces. Shows one face to this person, shows the face to that person. Right? How, you know, how do you reconcile between this and this? And there's an answer to this. Inshallah, we'll probably go through it in the next lesson if I if I, if I, if I remember it. Inshallah. But but this is 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 not like that. This is different. Here, this is basically, you know." Uh, when you know someone is a person of evil and he brings harm to people, he brings harm to society, you can tell people to be cautious and not not to get caught and not to get stung, right? This is This is from the angle of preventing evil. But then if you yourself interact with this person directly, then obviously it's from tactfulness in relationships that you be cordial with him, be nice to him. Assalamu alaikum, how are you? How is everything? Whatever, have a nice conversation, and let him be on his way. Alright? You don't like start saying you are an evil person, you this because then he's gonna he's gonna find ways to harm you as well. All right? So this is just tactfulness in in interactions, in relationships, and and so on and so forth. As for the person who is and, and here there is no like you're not saying anything which is untrue. You're not lying, you're not, you know, there's there's nothing like that happening in in either of these two scenarios so when you warn from him you are preventing the people from his evil and when you interact with him and you have a nice relationship with him that's just you being tactful in you know in basically just you know in managing relationships and everything you're doing and saying is true there's nothing you know uh, insincere or not genuine you know you genuinely mean you know how are you this whatever but you're just being tactful as for the person who has two faces which is mentioned in in the other hadith then this is a person, basically, he goes and shows a face to this person. I'm with you, I'm this, I'm that, whatever. Then he goes to another person, and he shows a different face to that person. I'm with you, I'm this. And obviously, he, he's lying, somewhere because he's not being sincere. All right. So, so that issue of, you know, ذُّ الْوَجْحِينَ, the one who has two faces, is something other than what is in this uh, hadith. And inshallah, maybe we'll elaborate upon this in the, in, in the next uh, lesson, inshallah ta'ala. Um okay what we'll do is we'll we'll come to an end of uh, today's uh session at this point inshallah we still continue with uh maybe we might have maybe perhaps one more lesson on this inshallah ta'ala. Uh, but we'll come to an end for today's lesson wa alamin wa sallallahu ala muhammad wa ala alihi